Hello and welcome to another episode of Startistan, a series by Pakistan Podcast Company. Pakistan Podcast Company is the hub for all conversations Pakistani at home and abroad. You can find us on our website pakistanpodcast.com and on iTunes, SoundCloud and Patari as Pakistan Podcast Company. Get in touch or follow us on our Facebook page Pakistan Podcast Company. Tweet at us at Pakistan Podcast or email us at hello at pakistanpodcast.com. In this series, I will be speaking with some of the most incredible Pakistani startup founders and change makers, shaking things up across the globe. I'll tell you what freedom is to me. If you're a Pakistani living abroad, at some point, you found yourself toying with the idea of moving back. But the idea usually dies a very quick death when issues around security, politics and job market join the conversation. Even though the situation has considerably improved and we're actually seeing a year-on-year increase in the number of people moving back to Pakistan. Over the years, the disconnect increases and the difference between perceived problems and those actually on the ground get blurred. It was a similar story for Asad and his friends, who, after going to the US for university, joined the workforce, and after a year of working, felt a similar disconnect growing. And so, started Pakistan. Launched in 2013, Pakistan is a global organization with 85-plus volunteers organized around eight volunteer chapters in the US, Canada, Middle East, and Australia. By hosting events in cities abroad, they connect the Pakistani diaspora to issues in Pakistan and scout for potential, quote-unquote, returners, individuals who want to move back to Pakistan and do impactful work. Their flagship workshop is a global hackathon held simultaneously across their chapters that connects participants to domain experts and investors. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Um, how's, uh, how's life? What are you up to? Life is pretty good here in San Francisco. Yeah. Enjoying the weather. Yeah. I see we don't have much time uh, on our hands today. So let's get, get into it. Um, so Pakathon. So today we're going to talk about Pakathon um, and, you know, your journey through it. So take us back to what was your motivation behind it? Like, where were you in life and sort of where did Pakistan come from? Yeah. So we started in 2013 and where I was in life, man, I, so I was working at a startup that had just got acquired by Twitter in 2013 and I was at Twitter uh, and I remember thinking I felt really disconnected to a lot of the problems in Pakistan. In 2013, I, so I was a year out of college. I was mm. in Boston. That year, I, I happened to meet a group of people that felt the same way and, you know, wanted to do something about it. So I met Jila, my co-founder, Azar uh, right. our other co-founder. We also found a group of people in Boston that would help us start putting on a hackathon and workshops and right. what ultimately led to the, uh, building a organization. Right. Where did that disconnect come from? Like, how long had you been in the U.S.? Like, where, did you come for university or had you sort of... Yeah. Okay. 
I came here when I was 18. Okay. Uh, and where did that disconnect come from? Like where's that feeling of disconnect, right? That feeling yeah. of, or the feeling of that connection being there in the first place, right? Yeah. I think there are a couple of things. I think the country was in crisis at that point. Uh, much more than uh, maybe it is today. So in 20, in, during that year, a bunch of things were happening. There was a lot of, like every week there was some incident or attack or like some like terrorist bombing that was happening in the country. Yeah. Uh, I remember like, I think the the first Hazara bombings happened around that time. So, so, I, so one was things in the country weren't that good. And the right. second thing is, I think just being removed from the country gives you, you can look at it from the outside. And then also, you also realize you don't actually have the, it's harder for you to have an agency in a lot of the things that are happening in Pakistan because you're not there. Hmm. Right. And I think being outside the country and looking at the country and seeing what was happening, I think caused, was, was part of the disconnect. Uh, right. And then also, I think it was not having a community of people to share that disconnect with. Hmm. So like, so you as a Pakistani felt disconnect. So my next question is going to be, you know, does, is it Pakistan that needed Pakistan or is it Pakistanis that needed Pakistan? And so you, as a Pakistani, you definitely needed Pakistan because you felt this disconnect and the lack of community and sort of no sort of place to share what you felt uh, or what you wanted to do. But does does Pakistan need Pakistan? You're uh, asking the difference between yes. You're asking is what's good yeah, for Yeah, let's, let's talk about the diaspora, right? Versus, yeah. Okay, let's you're asking what's good for diaspora, diaspora, Pakistan is good for Pakistan. Ah. Okay. So let me take a stab at that. There is a certain level where uh, you can you can provide a feel good feeling to a diaspora Pakistani, which will not do anything for Pakistan and the country. Mm. But I think there's a whole. I think before before action, there's an element of education and interest right. and community building that you have to do, because any diaspora Pakistani that does actively engage with Pakistan. So that could be like donating or it could be uh, doing some kind of educational transfer, right? Going back and teaching a course or it could be in a more hands-on way where actually they're deciding to move back to the country, right? Hmm. Those steps are not going to happen in a vacuum. There needs to be like interest right. and education and relationship building that happens before that. Right. Uh, so if you do that, I think that's good for the diaspora Pakistanis because it gives them a reason. Hmm. It gives them a way to connect to Pakistan. It's good for the country because it allows the country to engage with the diaspora in a way that can be productive. Right. I can definitely relate to that. I think that is sort of, that is very valid on a very personal level as well. So how do you think, so how do you think a platform like Pakistan has do you think a platform like Pakistan has enabled sort of the diaspora community to look at Pakistan more than just being a feel-good thing or a charity case and sort of take it for its merits and see it for the opportunities that are present there? Like, has there been a rebranding? Like, have we, has Pakistan sort of, like, do you think we need to rebrand opportunity in Pakistan? Do you think we need to rebrand Pakistan, basically? Uh, in this community here 
okay, if I were to put my business and startup hat on, right? Uh, I would say that, okay, I, I'm, I'm figuring this out as I'm speaking. So this yeah. is not going to be coherent. So I would say the, the country is a product, right? The product needs fixing, right? A bunch of levels. So that's, that's just the objective reality. Now you can't market and brand it as a perfect product, right? Right. Because that's not what it is. But you can say, look, there are all these issues. We're looking for people to help solve these challenges. Ideally, along with that, you want to create a system where the people who help solve these challenges will be re- rewarded in some way. Hmm. And I, I think that's, we were trying to create a system for that while also branding and marketing it as that. Right. Now, for that to be successful, um, there has to be support on the ground in the country itself, right? Yeah. How did that work? Yeah, so our strategy was to work with accelerators and incubators in Pakistan hmm. who acted as partners for us. And the idea is, you know, we would find smart Pakistanis abroad who wanted to move back and connect them to these accelerators and right. where we could also provide some funding. I think from a partnership perspective, that worked in that the accelerators were all helpful to us, you know, they, mm. and, and were interested in the partnership and they uh, did follow through on the partnership. Mm. I think that was probably, I think that there are more pieces of the puzzle that couldn't be solved with just that partnership. Okay. Could you talk about those? Yeah. So if, if you think of someone moving back to Pakistan, there are a whole bunch of like factors in their life that, need to align a certain way for them to make that decision. If they're doing it voluntarily, right? Right. And not because of visa situation or whatever. Right. So it's like, do they have like the family support? Do they have, are they at a certain place financially where they don't have to worry about what could happen? Or do they have the risk-taking profile to do something like that? Mm. A bunch of, like some of those factors are something, are things that we can't do anything about, right? So so that's what I mean when when I say it's like more than that kind of, it's factors beyond just making that kind of partnership. I mean, yeah. Like if you look at the people who are here, the students who've come for higher education, a lot of them with the prospects of sort of, you know, uh, plugging into the workforce here, getting employment here and making a career out of it here. Uh, then there's people in the diaspora, families in the diaspora that have sort of immigrated you know, searching for greener pastures. Um, so it's very hard to convince them to move back when they've initially moved here with the mindset that there's not much for us in Pakistan. Like how how often did you come across people who were actively willing to move back? And what percentage of them, from your knowledge, did move back? And those that didn't, what were some of the factors that sort of restricted them from moving back? So I'll start by saying my, my process is not systematic. So mm. I don't necessarily keep a spreadsheet of people who are, well, towards the end I did, but, but right. mostly I... Like a Trump-inspired Trump <laughs> uh, <laughs> record. Yeah. <laughs> Ledger uh, of Pakistanis. Although, although a good sales process is run that way. Right. An organized sales process is run that way. Right. 
but but my my approach was more i'll talk to people and get a sense of how i can help them right and mm. for some people that was like, okay I, i am moving back and the lot of people more more over to this because of visa situations and yeah it was mostly that so that people didn't have a choice yeah there were few so so sign right someone who voluntarily the podcast moved back. as well yeah yeah great okay yeah so he he's someone who did voluntarily move back team ammi service that hmm. came to pakistan for about 8 months that was voluntary so so a handful basically yeah. a handful of people that the other people that come to mind had visa like their visas were ending or they were full back right right so what about the people who wanted to move back but were unsure or didn't really take the plunge like you really wanted to move back for the longest yeah yeah so you i did speak to some of those people you need to have a whole bunch of things aligned hmm. in order to do that and i guess they were working through how to align those things right or figure out if they were really serious about this at the same hmm. time okay so then let's go back to the rebranding so i know i sort of mixed it within that other question so has it so has it changed how people look at pakistan like has the pakistan activity really changed the image to any degree like from your i would i would say i would say no uh, i would say what it did do was if you think of organizations that intermediate the experience of a pakistani diaspora with pakistan i'd say there is a generation gap in that right for a lot of young people a lot of these organizations are like run by people who are in the 40s and 50s right and what i think it did was it helped it was it was an organization made by for the most part young 20s and 30s for people in that age group right uh mm. and it allowed people to connect to pakistan through a familiar cultural lens right so like people in the 20s and 30s we talk about startups we even the word branding you use right it's mm. it's, a, it's a recent term um ideas like social entrepreneurship right i think we allow people to look at pakistan through those lens because that was right. a lot of the culture within our organization as well mm. uh and i think eventually like if you keep using that lens you'll get to a point where you see it as a problem as an opportunity right right so so pakistan's been around for 5 years have you seen that shift happen in some sense yeah at least definitely in terms of how people were talking about it right right like a lot of our events are about okay this is a problem but it's also an opportunity right mm. and people who came to our events did i think shift how they were framing right problems and this is so this is the younger generation right like a lot yeah. of the like young professionals like did pakistan have any effect on the narrative of the older generation like the generation that has the money to invest that does charitable work and remittances and many back and remittances and that sort of thing because the younger generation is still sort of finding its feet yeah the older generation is the one that actually takes part in a lot of giving back really mm-hmm. did you see a change in their sort of understanding on you know rather than giving money to the same hospital or to the same school building organization you know let's sort of look at the startup ecosystem and let's sort of look at what some of these kids are trying to do and invest in that i would say that the that the people who were in their 40s and above who came to our workshops always left really really inspired right acha 
uh, inspired by, I think, what people in their 20s or 30s brought to these events and their perspective. Hmm. Uh, and I, I used to get a lot of messages. It's one of this one gentleman who was also a donor. He, we invited him to our Global Files in Toronto as a judge. And it was actually really right. hard for us to get him. He wasn't sure what, what like, he didn't get our messaging. He didn't get what startups were necessarily. Hmm. And finally, like we had like someone we knew, knew him really well. And they sort of arm twisted him into coming. Hmm. And he was a judge for our, our global files in Toronto in 2015. Right. Uh, and he sent me a note after he's like, Hey, so what you know, like, I really didn't feel like coming. I wasn't even sure what this was about, but you know, like this event, like, I can't believe they're like, it, he said something like it changed. It gave me hope for my country, something along those lines, right? Hmm. I, 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 I never thought I'd see young people being so passionate about Pakistan. Right. right. Yeah, he was, he was like really blown away by it. He became a donor. Right. After that as well. So, so right. you know, that's proof that he, you know, he, he, he meant it. Hmm. So were there other cases like that? Like other, were there other sort of people of similar backgrounds from the previous generation um, who sort of, you know, had similar interactions or was that like a missed opportunity on sort of our behalf? So I, our event formats usually always had a space for mentors, so someone who hmm. was professionally more experienced. So I think structurally we always had that availability to engage with people in that generation. Right. I think it's more a matter of use. That's a process that takes five to 10 years, right? Hmm. It's not an overnight thing. All right. So now, um, so let's moving on from that. Like given how connected our world is now, you know, our problems are increasingly sort of becoming non-local and sort of more global. Um, an example would be something like the Me Too movement where, you know, everyone across the globe sort of recognized it as a problem. We sort of see that taking shape with regard to climate change, for instance. Is there sort of inter, like, are there similar efforts being made in other diasporas as well to sort of connect with where they come from? And is there like, a space for inter sort of diaspora engagement where we come together uh, realizing that we're all facing sort of similar problems now. Um, yeah. Like, does that space exist? Have you, like in the five years that Pakistan's been around, have you seen like similar movements elsewhere and sort of opportunities to connect and do things together? Yeah, so there are two parts to your question. Hmm. I'm going to answer the other diasporas part first. And then mm. I think you raised an interesting question about local versus global. Mm. Right. Uh, and I actually want to get at that because I've, I've thought a lot about the second part. over okay. the past. So I would say the Israeli diaspora has done some really amazing work and the Indian diaspora right. has done some pretty good work. And I would also think the Chinese diaspora, but I actually don't know a lot about that. Mm. There's really diaspora. There's a really good book called Startup Nation, which talks about how right. they've built their country's economy uh, with the help of the diaspora. And then I, th- I think the Indian community is really engaged with uh, the startup ecosystem there, uh, especially under the last two governments, the diaspora has gotten a lot more involved in the, in the country. Right. 
I don't see a lot of cooperation within the diaspora communities. And I, it's because it, it's connected to the second, the, the first thing you said about the local versus hmm. global thing. I actually think now, my advice to myself and to other people, to other Pakistanis has shifted over the past year. I used to think, okay, like you should, you should think about the global impact you can or cannot, you can have, right? Or, or the things you're doing that hmm. might be a detriment to the world, quote unquote. Right. And now I, my perspective has changed. But I actually think you need to start with local first. Because uh, as human beings, we're wired, we're wired to live in local tribes, right? We're, we're wired mm-hmm. to live in and connect with and build relationships with small units of people. Right. So that's why I think diasporas don't collaborate with each other because they're not motivated by that kind of thing. They're more motivated by how do I fix Solve this problem for this my problem. people. Yeah. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you don't start locally, you don't get the experience and the feedback that will eventually make you the kind of person that can solve global problems. So, okay. so, so what, I, what I mean is like you should learn from your audience, basically. No, no but Understanding even, the problem. Yeah, but even, uh, yeah, yes. But even like more basically, like I think like you should clean your room first. Like it's the most immediate thing in your surrounding, right? Because, because the thing is, when you start with your room, you might have like a, like maybe you have a, you have a traffic violation thing that you have that you haven't been like dealing with or some tax thing mm. that you haven't been dealing with, right? Mm. And it's like, once you like think about cleaning your room, immediately you're like, oh shit, after like, I have to budget my like next six months because like you know I, I need to figure this like tax problem out, right? Mm. And like, you attempting to clean something will cause the system to hit back at you, right? Because now you have to like think about budgeting and stuff, right? But that's a small dose of the system hitting you back, right? It's nothing crazy, right? Uh, then maybe you say, okay, my things with me and my family aren't that good, right? Hypothetically, uh, and then you talk to your parents about it. maybe maybe it's like you think you wanted to be maybe your parents wanted you to be a doctor and you're like and you last year of med school you're like i can't i can't do this anymore right <laughs> if someone's tuning in right now <laughs> please sort of you know don't start listening to the podcast at this point why are you understanding your podcast i think it's a great point to start listening <laughs> And to be the kind of person to tell your parents that you don't want to be a doctor means that for most people, they'll have to be more courageous and more honest, right? Your parents might come back to you and say, okay, like, I'm, we're not supporting you if you want to do whatever you want, right? Hmm. Which is like the system like hitting back at you for like trying to make things better, right? Hmm. And then it's like, okay, you learn to like, you learn to be more independent, Right? Because you're like, okay, I, want, I don't want to be a doctor and my parents aren't supporting me. So now I actually have to like get my career. I have to take ownership of my career now because it's, it's all on me right, right now, right? Right. And the thing is, when you start with things around you, the feedback loop you get is immediate uh, and it tests you and, it, and you grow stronger if you can, like, if you can meet that test, right? Hmm. But if you start with something abstract, A, you have no idea if it's, your solution is the right thing or not, right? Because hmm. you don't even have experience solving problems. Uh, and there's usually a lag effect for when the thing hits, back, hits you back. 
that lag effect that lag effect might be six months it might be a year or whatever right so so that that was my local versus global thing i think right. now people should start with local but the thing is what if the problems locally are sort of apparent across multiple ecosystems right wouldn't it be a better solution that sort of applies across multiple ecosystems for the same problem uh if you were to come together to solve it so like pakistan india bangladesh um a lot of the african countries uh, that have seen a lot of startup activity uh in the recent sort of years like is there space for that is there a need for that it depends on who you're talking to like if you're someone if you're someone in the us who doesn't have a bunch of things in their life in order hmm then you are not the person to go to africa to fix these problems you're you're just avoiding your problems but if you're someone who has solved all those problems in your life hmm <clears throat> and you are at that stage where you can take on like problems of a more global nature then maybe you could think of doing that okay so let's go back to pakistan how did you see it working upon inception yeah we started with our first volunteer chapter in boston hmm and we had a hackathon in was the idea to always have the hackathon <clears throat> or did you get to well, the hackathon at the beginning it was more like okay this is something interesting we want to do let's try it out right we didn't we didn't even we weren't even sure what the reception was going to be like mm. so we were like oh we all enjoy hanging out with each, with each other and let's put on this event and then after that so we we had this event in boston and then we said okay is there a need for this in other places it was a combination of we us reaching out and people reaching out to us like we had universities in pakistan which had to no we reached out to universities in pakistan we reached reach out to other people in toronto chicago new york right. get people reach out to us through our website uh, and so at that was point like we, okay, the, was this when you guys started or did this happen like after the first year after the first year after the first so we like had, when you guys started universities you have two universities come on board in the first hmm. year and we had a event in boston right so so we did that and then and then we saw that we were actually getting a lot of interest from young pakistanis across north america and elsewhere and that's when we we start, we started to think about like how can we build this into an institution like how can we make this more than just workshops or events so that's how our thinking evolved right and how the way you pakistan sort of took shape was that all according to plan or what were some of the pivots yeah so i think in 2014 2015 we we saw that we needed to have we needed to have more of a focus because we were too broad in our approach right we were working with universities in pakistan we were working with volunteer chapters outside of pakistan with and what was the objective at this point at that point we have we hadn't thought about what the objective was clearly enough so we had just... decided upon okay so we had a this model of like engaging pakistanis right cops which is working right but it got to a point where it was really big and then we that's when we were like okay we should have a conversation about what the objective is right right uh and out of that came a couple of decisions the first one was to stop working with universities in pakistan acha right and what was the reason behind that well there were a couple of reasons a it was it's harder to work with a bunch of bureaucracies hmm right because their process is slower and there's a whole list of things you need to do for approval right okay. and we didn't have any resources right because at that time like there was no one we didn't even have any staff at that point right 
Right. Uh, and then the other thing was there were already organizations in Pakistan that that were doing things in the Pakistan ecosystem, right? So we, one, one question we asked ourselves was, what's a niche we can find where there are no other people in that space? Because if you look at a competitive landscape, you want to occupy the place where no one else is at, where you have a, a competitive advantage. Right, but is it competition the right way of going about it or was it collaboration? When you say niche, finding your niche, and like I see the niche as being... Like you need a differenti- differentiating factor. Right. Right. Like you guys were engaging a lot of the diaspora community. I see that as yeah. So so the thing is, if if you do your competitive analysis well, then you don't compete. But if you do the same thing that five other organizations are doing, then it's like you all go to a uh, someone who you're servicing or someone who's a funder. Then they're gonna ask you how are you in comparison to all these four other organizations doing the same thing. Right. But if you're doing something different, you're adding value to a group of people that that mm. weren't getting that service. Right. 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 Uh, and with the universities in Pakistan, we came to the conclusion that, you know, we don't have a strong presence in Pakistan. We have a presence, but not the strongest, right? Mm. There are people who have better presence than us. Mm. And they would probably provide better services than we could. Mm. Right? They could work with universities and, and do the same thing we could, but with more resources. Right. Uh, but what we saw was, okay, in the diaspora, there are organizations in the diaspora, mm. but there are not any organizations that were connecting the diaspora to problems in Pakistan. Right. Or, connecting, or getting the diaspora more connected to Pakistan. Right. So that's the first thing we saw, right? Where, okay, this, see, this like space. Well, what, uh, about, uh, what about uh, things like Code for Pakistan and those sorts of things? Code for Pakistan is, is mostly for Pakistanis in Pakistan. That's true, okay. Yeah. And so, okay, so we saw the space. Right. And then we said, okay, what's... There are a few questions we asked ourselves. Like, what's the biggest impact you can make working in the space hmm. for Pakistan? Hmm. Right. And what are, what are the resources we have that could enable the most impact with the resources we have, right? Uh, and then we had a few examples of people who had come to our workshops and moved to Pakistan to launch businesses, right? So right. like Simes, someone we mentioned earlier. Head up. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, people coming to our workshops is impact. But if you think of the most impact you can have, we thought, okay, like someone actually going back and starting a business is an ideal outcome. Right. right. Uh, and so then we said, okay, what if we focus on that? What if we help people, what if we help this segment of people who are moving back? Not okay. <clears throat> and how did that play out? So ultimately what we learned was there are just not enough people in this niche. Our niche was too niche. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Why? Why aren't like there's a lot of Fulbrighters coming, right? And they know they have to move back. Yeah, but they didn't. When we talked to them, so we did actually help uh, this guy who set up a first aid training company hmm. in Pakistan. Sure. Okay. Doing pretty well, and he's a Fulbrighter. We we work with him. Right. But we just didn't see because we we showed this to the Fulbrighters, and they just didn't seem that excited about it. Okay. And did they provide like feedback as to why? Like what would have made this like, what was missing? Or was it just a mindset that will sort of, will go back and we'll figure it out? Yeah, I think it was more of the latter. Like it didn't necessarily have... A plan. Yeah, I think their their approach was... 
either they had other career aspirations, right? Mm. Or, you know, or they were like sort of passive or neutral mm. about it. And I think maybe they figured that once they get back, right. they'd... Because a lot of Fulbrighters that I've interacted with in the two years that I've been in Pakistan, they all seem very motivated around certain sectors or areas of study. And if they're not working on their own side projects, they're definitely working with like smaller organizations or if they, even if they're in a bigger organization, they're, they've sort of got this very niche. A lot of them have got uh, a very focused sort of approach on what it is that they want to do as a career. Which you need to have to get a full bite, I think. Right. Um, so it, it's, it, it almost seems... Like what happened in those Fulbright years? Like you came in with all the sort of motivation and direction. Is it the education system that just sort of drained it out of you completely? <laughs> or like, what is it? I think you need to invite a Fulbrighter on the podcast to answer. I really I'm need not, to, yes. I'm not, I don't think I'm qualified to. <laughs> I think I'm going to, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a podcast. I'm doing a recording with Hera uh, soon. Okay. So cool. I think this is, Great. Like this, this, I should ask her this. Like, <laughs> what has her been, experience been like? Because yeah, that just seems like, it just seems strange that that would be the case. But yeah. Okay. So then what? Like this became too niche of a niche. Um, yeah. So what have been the learnings? So you've pivoted, you started off with being sort of, a, you wanted to start a community that became a hackathon that became sort of, a platform to help people moving back, uh, provide them with more direction, more network, sort of contacts, mentorship, that sort of thing. So what have been the learnings sort of along the way? Like where is Pakistan now? Um, and what have been the learnings throughout this process? Yeah. So I would say, so we're closing shop because... That's sad and unfortunate. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think it's one Why? of the, the... There are a whole bunch of reasons, but I, th- I, think, I think it's we didn't have product market fit and product market fit in a way, what I mean is like have something that can provide value and in a way that can sustain the organization. Right. So, and so that actually is a good segue to the learning, hmm. the learnings that we got. Yeah. Uh, I think one, one thing I learned is starting small and testing out different niches before scaling. Like I think we became too big before we figured out what we were going to do, which makes it harder to experiment down the road. Pivoting with one chapter is very different than pivoting with eight chapters. Right. right? And then I do, I do really believe in this idea of like starting local. Now. Solve the problems in your immediate surroundings and the world will keep giving you bigger problems and you'll be more equipped to deal with them. Interesting. So what you felt with Pakistan was the problems weren't local enough for people? Like the relatability wasn't there? Well, it's, if you're a 20-something, I would say, think about, say you're 20-something in, mm. in North America. Mm. Unless you have visa issues, like you should start with the problems in your locality and then scale up. Wherever you are in North America. As opposed to <clears throat> thinking about problems in Pakistan that you aren't close enough to solve. 
unless unless you are moving back, at which point it's a different, it's a different right. Yeah. But is that more of uh, putting you at ease? I mean, this this shying away from the fact that uh, in a weird way you do have this responsibility to solve. Like, who's solving Pakistan's problems? Like, if so, your whole the, the whole idea was we want to reverse the brain drain, right? Yeah. Like, if we're not reversing the brain drain, and now we're sort of thinking local, even more locally. So you know, we've moved here. For us to think locally means I, you know, think about the problems in my immediate sort of street and then community and that sort of thing. I'm saying start, start. Then. Right. But like if, if you all become local. I mean, people in Pakistan can also Pakistan. No, they can. Yes, absolutely. Like, like we don't give them enough credit for it. Uh, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of really cool things coming out of Pakistan. Which is why, like, the main motivation behind this podcast was that Pakistanis are actually doing some really cool things for yeah. Pakistan, uh, in Pakistan. But the idea, again, is you need those connections, you need that network to grow. Like, local to me seems, I, I get where you're coming from, that get better at solving your local problems, um, get better at solving something, uh, <laughs> local is easier, uh, and then sort of think about solving someone else's problem. Which is what a Pakistan, which is what Pakistan's problems may seem when you're sitting here, right? But or it, or does that lead to isolation? Like, isn't that what we were trying to do when, you know, the generations before us sort of immigrated? They were trying to solve their local problems, and then, <laughs> thirty years down the road, it's like, well, now it's time to retire. <laughs> we solved our local problems. We're comfortable. Our kids are comfortable. But now it's time to retire. So Pakistan never really got much out of it uh, we never actually the, what we wanted to give back we never really were able to because we were thinking too local like i i just feel it leads to i don't know like i get where you're coming from but then there the other side of the argument is also very sort of <laughs> strong in my head that yeah. too local leads to isolation and sort of this that ends up leading to disconnect that we're trying to solve in the first place let, let me say this. Huh. The responsibility of every individual, the first responsibility of every individual is to do no harm. Right. Right? Not, not to do good, but just to do, do no harm. Right? Huh. And think with something that's abstract is you don't know if you're doing good or harm at the beginning because you don't have, you're not there. Huh. Right? right? Versus if, if you have a leak in your sink, you will know if you've done harm to that leak, you know, if you're trying to fix it. And, things go off, right? Uh, so I think just caring about something global does not actually mean that you will add benefit to it. Just the act of caring about something. Right. Now, now your other thing is interesting uh, about like these people who came here and they've spent 30 years here and then, you know, they're, they're comfortable now and then, you know, they're not doing anything beyond that. Well, they are. So it's unfair of me to say <laughs> they're not. Uh, <laughs> But in the sense of, you know, it, it, it sort of just pushes that same sort of charity narrative. Like, that narrative doesn't change. Like, they do stuff, but it's, again, charity. What, so, what I've experienced so far isn't... So, there isn't a lack of talent. Yes, there may be a lack of... And there isn't a lack of money either. Like, there's a lot of money. It's just not being invested in these sort of 
ecosystems correctly because because we haven't been able to reverse the brain drain because we haven't you know there's talent but it's raw it needs direction you know companies there startups there they need direction they need they don't yes they need money but more than money they need direction they need to know how to engage with communities they need to understand you know what's the right way of, of launching businesses not making the same mistakes people have made um so, and there's a lot of success stories in like in pakistan and in the diaspora that should motivate sort of become learnings and directions for them but unfortunately those efforts aren't made with the same sort of fervor as we sort of just give money to charities as noble as that is a lot of time people need direction more than they need money yeah i mean just bringing it back to the individual ah. I, w- i would say the thing to do is like set aside a certain amount of money and invest in pakistan yourself like if, okay. like if if you never even put money in the pakistan ecosystem your own money you're probably not equipped to like help some startup no like uh, the thing is it's not just money like i'm just saying knowledge like you've accumulated this knowledge base and these experiences and even in in a year of being you know so even in a year of being in the us for example just having interacted in a different ecosystem you know you come back with something that is different i think that is what we need different ways of solving problems what what i got from that is i is you're saying people should create more content and put it on the internet um not necessarily i think you're saying, already a lot so of content because so you're saying someone in the in north america has a certain life experience and things they've learned which is not accessible to someone in pakistan right it is what i'm saying is on the ground i think con- content is one thing but content is then it lacks the context that can only come when you're there so but but this ties into my earlier point about if someone who's in north america will not have that context Huh. Agreed. But, But if, if if there's a Pakistani company that's trying to expand to your city in North America, there you have that context and you can help. Right? Or if you or your company is expanding to some city in Pakistan, that can work. But ex- just the concept of expanding, you know, <laughs> expanding beyond a certain sort of scaling beyond certain levels. there's a big knowledge pool that i feel is here that can benefit the movement on the ground there uh, yeah that, that's yeah. why you that's why you're doing this podcast right well <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> hopefully i don't know i feel like this point i'm selling your podcast more than you're selling your podcast right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully oh, yeah hopefully people are listening to these stories and they're there's some learnings there they're connecting to it at some level um that's the goal that they're relating to it and connecting to it and taking something away at some level um and then beyond that just that you know the school pakistani is doing cool work across yeah. the globe chalo on that note this was a great discussion yeah we, thank you for having me not a problem thanks for taking our time even though we pretty much talk <laughs> very regularly now <laughs> but this is this is one of those discussions i i don't think we've had and yeah like the 
last couple of discussions that we've had so it was great it was great uh, having this uh and yeah talk to you soon talk to you soon This episode was recorded and produced by Taha Jalil with post production also done by Taha Jalil who can definitely do with a few extra hands and which will also result in him not talking in third person anymore. So, if you're passionate about podcasting or just excited to experiment with this medium to create content, do reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter or email us at hello@pakistanpodcast.com. Music is by the very talented Ali Fawad. whose work you can find on SoundCloud under alif.bay that's b a e or on patari under alif and now i'll let alif take us out with this amazing track it's just a feeling until next time good night and good luck